Let me begin by giving a shout out to all of you who are watching online from far and near. I'm so delighted that you are connecting with us today. And if you're not in the local Bay Area, you may not know that we have two local in-person campuses here in the Bay Area. Both of them have in-person worship gatherings at 11 a.m. There's one in Ridgewood City uh, and the other one is in San Jose. I want to give a shout out to those who are watching me right now from the San Jose campus. Go ahead and make some noise at the San Jose campus. God bless all of you. Today I feel a particular uh, call, if you will, to take some time and talk about navigating grief and trauma. The fact of the matter is, uh, in this particular endemic, endemic season, it appears that we are surrounded by grief and loss and trauma. Either we're working through it ourselves, or we're trying to help people that we know work through it. So today, I want to really take some time and help us to figure out uh, how do we help others who are going through it, and what does it look like? What is some wisdom for those of us who are going through grief and trauma ourselves? How do we get through it? Now, on the screen, there's a link to a web page that we have set up with tons of resources designed to help you uh, to further deepen your understanding and awareness of uh, how to navigate grief, loss, and trauma. God, we ask that you would bless us and uh, make this teaching transformative. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I can't think of a better scripture to teach on when it comes to trying to help us to figure out how to be um, effective resources to people who we love that are going through grief and trauma and loss. Then the Job text that we're about to read. Let's read it. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. When they saw Job from a distance, they could scarcely recognize him. So wailing loudly, uh, they tore their robes, threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. And then when it comes to teaching, how do we work through grief and trauma when we find ourselves having to go through it? No better experience to teach that about than to teach about that than Jesus on the cross. Let's look at the text here. At noon, Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And there ends the reading. So today we want to take up the subject of navigating grief and trauma. You, you can't have one, particularly grief that is generated by the loss of a loved one, without engaging trauma. Not too long ago, I heard a joke that was told, and it was really a true story, and it had layers in it. The comedian uh, shared how he came out of his house one day and recognized that his car had been stolen. He was shocked. He was stunned. He couldn't believe it. He said uh, he sat down on the sidewalk in front of his house thinking, you know, they couldn't have stolen my car. 
maybe they just borrowed it. And if I sit here long enough, they will return it. So he sat on the sidewalk waiting for them to return. It is a humorous story, and yet it is full of all of the kinds of things that we actually find ourselves walking through and working through when we experience our own loss. There's shock and there's denial, the inability to accept what has taken place. There's confusion, and the list goes on, and we'll talk more about that a little later. There's no better story to teach us how to be supportive to our loved ones, as I said a few moments ago, who find themselves sitting on the side of the road, if you will, trying to deal with their trauma and their loss, than the story of Job. So let's first wrestle with the first question here. How do I support others in their grief? Now, for those who may not be familiar, let's give you a quick summary about Job. Chapter 1 of the book of Job says that he is perhaps the most righteous person in his part of the world. He is known for his love for God. He's known for his integrity. He walks with God, loves God, worships God. And despite all of that, horrendous tragedy and evil befalls him. And one day, he loses all 10 of his kids. The magnitude of loss is something he can't comprehend. Over the course of the next several days, not only does he lose all 10 of his kids, but he loses his wealth and his health. The scale of the loss is unimaginable. And we witness stories like this all the time. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they told me that over the course of one year, they lost their grandmother, they lost two or three cousins that was close to them. They lost one or two dear friends that was close to them. And a grandson, 17 years old, had a heart attack, if you can believe it, had a heart attack in, in June and was gone the next month. Sheer scale of loss. Many of us are dealing with that in a variety of ways in this, this, this season after the pandemic has become an endemic. It's a wow moment. So how do, we, how do we engage? How do we find ourselves? How are we supportive? Well, let's return to the text. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy that he was suffering, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and to console him. Here's the first thing that we do when we hear that loved ones are in the midst of, of tragedy and trauma. We show up. You don't wait for an invitation. You get going. You show up. If you're not quite comfortable with just showing up without checking first, then you can just pick up the phone and you give them a call or text them and say, I'm on my way over. Let me know if it's okay. And if they text you back or call you back or say in the conversation, no, I prefer to be all by myself today, that's cool. But you know what? Months and months later, they will remember the fact that you called or text and that you are, you are on your way can you say, show up? Understand that it is okay for you to show up with no words. Here's two things I want you to be able to, to say. Uh, repeat this with me. Say this, I have no words. Say it. Yeah. When you get there, as Job's friends were, when they showed up, there was no words to capture their suffering, his suffering. 
So it's okay to say, I have no words. Here's the other thing you may want to say. I don't know what to say. But you know what? I'm here. I'm here. Number one, show up. We turn to the text. Notice what the text teaches us. Uh, It says, when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. So what did they do? They started wailing loudly. They tore their robes and they threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. So number two, acknowledge their pain when you get there. I don't have any words, but you want to acknowledge their pain. Let me point out, number one, that these three people were guys. These were men. So for all the men who are listening to me, you think that it's unmanly to cry and to weep. I just want to point out right here. Come on now. These guys are weeping and they are wailing. I would like to say it this way. Strong men can weep and can cry. But if for whatever reason weeping is not where you are, use your words to communicate that you're connecting with them in their grief. So, Here's some things that you can say as you acknowledge their pain. This is so hard. Oh, it hurts so bad. You can say, this is unimaginable. I just can't, I, I can't even comprehend this. I am so sorry. Or you can say to them, it's okay to cry. Uh, or, of course, you can weep with them. Let's return to verse 13. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights, No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering transcended words. So, show up. Two, uh, demonstrate, acknowledge their pain. Three, sit with them in their pain. Quietly. Quietly. Sit with them in their pain. Quietly. Now, when you read beyond this chapter, There's two things coming to focus. Number one, they sit with Job seven days, seven nights without saying a word. They did that. It's wonderful. So if you show up the house and you show up in the context where your loved one is, I'm just telling you, it's okay just to sit there. The TV may be on. The music may be playing. There may be other people there chatting back and forth. You just sit there, engage. There may be no one there but you and the loved person, the loved one, and they're weeping and they're crying, and that is cool. Don't try to fill that space by providing explanations for things that you have no explanation for, answering questions that you can't ask. You just sit there quietly. Now, when you read past chapter three, you'll notice that Job's friends also teach us what not to do. And there are three things that I want to just drive home as we uh, hustle to the end of this section about three things that we should not do. And the first thing has to do with uh, what we shouldn't say. All right. Can you just repeat after me? Don't say this. Come on. Repeat after me again. Don't say this. (laughs) Don't say what? Number one, do not use cliches or platitudes like don't say they're in a better place. Don't say everything happens for a reason. Don't say God does not make mistakes. Listen, I'm not saying that that some of those things are not correct. I'm just saying they're not helpful. 
because the person has a huge hole in their heart and they want their loved one there. Those statements are helpful. And by all means, do not say, don't cry. You just let them cry, whether it's for 15 minutes or an hour. Just provide towel and paper, sit there and let them cry. If it's appropriate, if you have the kind of relationship, you might hug them or hold their hands or just sit with them. Let them cry. And then don't compare losses. If you lost a child and they lost a child, if you lost a spouse, they lost a spouse, don't say, hey, child, I know what you're going through because I lost my. No, no, no. Every loss is different. You can say, uh, you know, I've been down a similar road. You can share your story and talk about how you felt and ask, is that kind of how they felt? But never say, I know how you're feeling. Mm -mm. And lastly, don't avoid the topic. When you see them at work or at a family dinner, whatever the case is, just ask them, how are you doing with your grief? How are you doing with your loss? And by all means, by the same token, don't avoid the person. Cool. Here's the last deal. Initiate help and offer hope. Here's what I mean. If you show up in somebody's context and they're grieving hard, and you see that the dishes need to be washed, wash the dishes. If you hear that the kids need to be picked up, go volunteer. Go pick up the kids and bring them. If you, if you hear that the, the, the people grieving need to get to the hospital or need to go to the funeral home, whatever the case, you make yourself available. And then secondly, don't say to them, if you think of anything you want me to do, just call me. No, because they can't think in the midst of their grief. You have to help them to think. So offer some choices. Say, hey, do you want me to send you uh, a, a DoorDash uh, uh, card so that you can order what you want or do you want me to go pick up some Kentucky Fried Chicken or you know what I'm going to Costco's do you want me to bring some paper towels and some, some napkins and so forth or do you want me to bring some steak and some milk and some bread <laughs> right? give them some choices and offer hope they just need to hear you say you know what you're going to get through this and if there are people of faith or if they're open to it and they're not upset or angry with God, you can just tell them, I don't know how, but God's going to see you through. God's going to see you through. If they are angry with God, don't feel the need to defend God. God understands that oftentimes our anger and our pain speaks. I'll return to this at the end of the message. So just let them talk. Let them weep. And, and by all means, if it's appropriate, ask, can you have a word of prayer with them? But if it's not appropriate, don't force it. You don't have to pray with them in order to pray for them. All right? So initiate help and offer hope. I've got one last thing I want to say to those of us who are on the receiving end. So often in the midst of our grief, we think that that's the time to show how strong we are, how independent we are, how responsible we are. So we turn down all of these offers of help. I want you to practice with it. Everybody say this with me. Say, yes, thank you. Let's say it again. Yes, thank you. That's what I want you to practice. If somebody say, can I wash the dishes? Yes, thank you. Can I bring you some food? Go stop by the store and pick up some items? Yes, thank you. Do you want to pick up the kids? And if they're trustworthy and you have confidence in them? Yes, thank you. Do you need somebody to take you over? Yes, thank you. Because you're in a position where you need to be cared for. God has provided folk to do that for you. Yes. Thank you. All right, now let's turn the lens. 
Let's turn the lens. What if you're the one going through? How do I get through loss and grief? That's the question. How do I get through it? How do I get through what I'm going through? If you're working, I know a lot of you listening to me, you're going through loss and grief right now. All the words, this experience of Jesus on the cross speaks to us. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. And at about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou abandoned me? A number of years ago, I talked to a lady by the name of Pam Baker. She's married to Tim Baker, who is the brother of our former minister of, of uh, worship and, and music, director of worship and music, Pastor Dan Baker. Some of you will recall that name. And I was teaching a message very similar to this, and I heard that she had gone through an incredible loss. She had lost her 23-year-old daughter named Jamie, and I wanted to talk to her about her story. When I called her, she said to me, that I'm always blessed to share my Jamie story. It strikes me that all of us have a Jamie story, someone we love that we have lost. And she went on to share that on September 14, 1986, they welcomed their second baby into the world. Her name was Jamie. Not long afterwards, they will find out that Jamie had sisters, uh, uh, cystic fibrosis, a disease that would, in fact, attack her lungs, and her digestive system, and would lead to her death at 23 years old. Uh, Jamie was this remarkable, beautiful, precocious young girl who, if she was trying to get your attention, you was ignoring her, she would crawl up in your face and say, no, 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 I'm not going to let you miss all this love I got for you. <laughs> at five years old, she accepted Jesus as her own Lord and Savior. But by the time she became a teenager, she had kind of walked away from God. She was dealing with her disease and, and the implications of, of her life. She was angry. And we, that makes sense in her context. But on one occasion, she went to a youth event that was on the beach with one of her friends. And when the young people started to go around in a circle and testify about their experience with God, she got up and left. She said, I don't want to hear this. And as she was walking down the beach, uh, she heard a whisper, Jamie. She thought it was her friend. And she said, what? And her friend said, I, I didn't say anything to you. They walked a little further, and her friend was walking just a little bit ahead of her, and she heard the word again, Jamie. So she got into it with her friend. Come on, why, why are you fooling with me like this? Her friend said, I'm serious. I'm not calling your name. And so she told her friend, you walk on a, up ahead a little bit. And she held back. So as Jamie walked along, she heard the words, Jamie. I miss you. That was her Lord Jesus calling to her. She went back, recommitted her life to Jesus. She grew up to be a beautiful young woman, an amazing worship leader in her church, a great matchmaker for her friends. She would marry, fall in love and marry a young minister. And at age of 23, you'd find her on her deathbed in a hospital room. And she would call her mom over to the bed and say, don't cry for me. Meaning, I'm going to be all right, mom. I promise. And then she said to the 
folk in the room with a whisper before they intubated her for the last time. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. And darkness fell upon a whole land. Pam said that she and her husband Tim and their family descended into this Enormous darkness of deep grief and loss and pain and trauma. And the question is, how did they make it through? How did the mom, Pam, make it through? Point number one, we have to realize that faith is an indispensable resource. And it was an indispensable resource for Pam and her family. And notice Jesus is drawing on his faith as an indispensable resource from the cross. As he quotes those words, he's quoting Psalms 22. My God, my God, why hast thou abandoned me? That, 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 was a, that was scripture, so he's quoting scripture. He's using that scripture to pray a prayer. That was a scripture that actually was a prayer, and it gives voice to his own prayer. Often in the Psalms, they would turn the Psalms into songs, songs of lament, and so there's song, there's worship, there's prayer, all built into this incredible moment as Jesus draws on his faith. This is why you go to church. This is why you internalize scripture. This is why you become a part of a, a Christian small group so that you've got faith-filled people in your life because you want to position yourself so that in the tough times you can draw upon the resources of your Secondly, we've got to recognize that grief is a process. Somebody say, can you just say this with me? Grief takes time. Say it again. Grief takes time. You can't hurry grief. You can't accelerate grief. For most of us, the first year after a loss, that's the most challenging time. Because we've got to go through all the holidays and birthdays and anniversaries, and it triggers Again and again and again, the trauma that surrounds our grief and all of the emotions that are attached to it. So we have to prepare ourselves for a journey. Grief takes time. It's a process. Notice the scripture says, at noon darkness fell. And that Jesus was on the cross from noon until 3 o'clock. And it really captures this notion that he went through a process. He speaks seven words between noon and three o'clock. A process, interestingly enough. So we have to decide that we're going to go through the process. We have to make that decision. Jesus could have decided that he was going to avoid the process. Notice, here's one thing that Jesus says in John 10, 18. Notice what he says. No one can actually take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down. And when I want to, I also have the authority to pick it up again. He could have circumvented the whole thing, but he didn't. So the cry, my God, my God, why has thou abandoned us, is an invitation for us to join him as we go through the process of grief. We got to go through the progress process. Now you may want to think, why? Uh, some years ago, my wife had fixed a sandwich and lunch for me, and I took it to work. When I got ready to eat my lunch, I could find everything but the sandwich. <laughs> so I, I asked the staff, do you have to see my sandwich? I teased them, who stole my sandwich, this and that. Couldn't find my sandwich. In either case, I ended up having to send out and get something. Went on and ate. 
Two days later, I walk into the office. I smell my sandwich. <laughs> it had been tucked away in a drawer somewhere, and, and it had now decomposed. And, and anybody who walked in the office would know that sandwich is in that office. This is the reason why we've got to do the work of processing through our grief. Because unprocessed grief in our lives, well, you know what? It decomposes. And at some point, everybody around us experienced the byproduct of decomposed grief in your life. It comes out when you're cynical. It comes out when you're angry and yelling and screaming and cussing out people and your kids and all of that. When you shift from being a really wonderful, nice person to, you know, at the end of the day, grief will always change you. Either you're going to become better as you work through it or you're going to become bitter. You gotta work through the process. Somebody shout process. So the process and emotions of grief, you've got to work through. And Pam said that she found herself over the next year plus working through the process. And these emotions, they don't come in any particular order, but you're gonna have to, you, you've gotta, you gotta face them, you gotta live in them, work through them. Shock. Pam said she had worked through that shock and denial, recognizing that her precious baby girl was no longer in that beautiful 20-year-old, 23-year-old body that was now laying in the hospital. She was gone, shocked. It didn't seem real. The mental confusion and, and the forgetfulness that happens because when we lose somebody, our lives become totally disorganized. And our brain begins to, to, to misfire, it often feels like. Begin to do things like put keys in the refrigerator and leave my milk by the door. Pam could recognize those behaviors and forgetfulness. For fluctuating emotions, Pam said that, you know, she could be perfectly fine and then she would smell a scent or she would see something on TV or she would drive up to the church or whatever the case might be or maybe just see a guitar and suddenly a flood of emotions would come. Fluctuating emotions. There would be anger because at the end of the day, guys, Death is an injustice, and we're full of anger. And for some people, that we get angry at God. And I always say that God can handle our anger, so go ahead. For others, we get angry if the deceased did something irresponsible that led to the death. Sometimes we get angry at the deceased. But oftentimes, we're just angry. We just have a short fuse. I was talking to a young woman not long ago, and she lost her sibling, and she was saying she was just so angry. And I said, you've got to work that anger out in a healthy way, not in an unhealthy way. She said, sometimes I feel like I just want to knock a hole in the wall. I, I, I just want to cuss people out and be mean at them. I said, I get it, but you've got to find a healthy way to do it. And so I said, look, go out in the backyard and scream and yell. She said, well, I'm in an apartment complex. I can't do that. I said, well, is there another way? She says, yes, I'm going to get my pillow and I'm going to scream into my pillow. I said, yes. And I say, also exercise and journal. Find some healthy ways. And when you do go off because of anger, catch yourself and apologize. Let people know you're grieving. As a matter of fact, if you, everybody say these words. Just say, I'm grieving. Say it again, I'm grieving. Appropriate words to say again and again, especially during the first year of whatever loss it is that you're working through. And then there's guilt. On our resource page, there's a whole message I do on dealing with guilt and shame that comes from grief. And then there's depression. 
depression. And ultimately, if we work it through, we get to a new place of acceptance. I'll come back. But depression, can you say depression? <laughs> you know, it shows up in a variety of ways. Here's what Pam says. Pam says that, you know, uh, she, she actually didn't, couldn't pinpoint when the distance happened between her and God. Notice Jesus. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus cries out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, Zabatami, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, on the cross, the first prayer he prays is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The last word he speaks on the cross is, Father, I commit my hand to, uh, Father, I commit my, my spirit to thee, to you. But here, he doesn't use the term Father. He uses the term God, my God, my God. The my represents I'm still connected with you. But this notion of my God shows, but there's some distance between us. And from the Father's perspective, can you imagine God seeing his son go through that horrendous trauma? And the text says there's, there's darkness upon the face of the earth. And one of the ways I like to think about that darkness upon the face of the earth is not just a geological reality, but I just believe in the heart of God the Father. The, the light went out. That, was, that's, that happens to us in our grief. The light goes out for a little while. And Pam said the light went out for a little while. And she, she just couldn't even struggle with faith and pain. She just had to deal with her pain. She says, but after six months, can you say grief takes time? After six months, she said God started to wake up every morning with a praise song, early in the morning, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, with a praise song. I know, with a praise song, with a praise song. And suddenly she realized, come on now, she, she had told me earlier that she didn't even want to find God in the darkness because she was so angry at the injustice and the unfairness of it. But when he started to wake her up, kind of just like he did with Jamie, when he, he called Jamie by name and said, I missed you, when, when God started to wake her up, with the praise song, she realized she was beginning to heal. And she realized that the God who that she had had faith in, even in those moments when she wasn't sure that she could even have faith, that that God held her. He was with her. He was with her. That's the God that we know in Jesus I like Psalms 34, 18. It says this, if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you've kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Wow. So number four, finally, we have to find the faith to face the darkness. Face that season where the light goes out. Some of us say, I'm afraid that if I work through, walk into the dark, I'm going to lose my mind. And I just want to say to you, if you're afraid of losing your mind, that's a good sign that you're not going to lose your mind. <laughs> because people who lose their mind, they're not thinking about whether they're going to lose their mind. Some people say, I'm afraid that if I start crying, I won't stop. I'm afraid that I'm going to end up in some place that I can't find myself. Well, you're already in a place that you've never been before because you've never been in the world without your loved one. Go through the dark, but just go through it. Can't you hear Jamie? Tell him about Jesus. Go through it with Jesus. Well, let me give you a, 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 an additional practical application of how to work through the dark. 
Can you say lament? Yes, lament. And when I say lament, I mean you've got to allow yourself to feel the feelings of your grief. Don't shut them off. As a matter of fact, you've got to be active in engaging those feelings. So number one, cry. Six months later, a year later, two years later, cry when you feel like weeping. Journal. Pray. Ask others to pray for you. Revisit those memories. Look at photos. Watch videos. Go to those special places and sit there and be there and remember. Share stories with others and do what Jesus taught us to do. Engage the Psalms as he quoted Psalms 22. I'm going to give you, here's some Psalms I want to suggest. Let the Psalms put, uh, add a voice to the words that are in your heart. Give voice to the pain that's in your heart. Psalms 22, 42, 44, 60, 74, and 80. Do you hear Jamie say? Tell him about Jesus. So let me end by just simply telling you about Jesus. Take the journey through the grief with Jesus. You know, the God who showed up in Jesus is so reliable in the midst of our grief. You know, one of my favorite passages is in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Lazarus dies. His sister Mary comes out, and the text says that when, he, when she comes out, she throws herself at the foot of Jesus, and she's screaming at Jesus. He says, Lord, if you'd been here, you would not, my brother would not have died. And so he's saying, you've let me down. The text says, Jesus looks around and sees her weeping, and the people who are surrounding her, they are wailing. And the text says, an anger rose up in him. And here's the first wonderful insight. This is why Jamie says, tell you about Jesus. Uh, in Jesus, we find a God who will share in our anger. He shares our anger. Death is, in, is wrong. It's, it's the highest injustice. And then he asks, where did you lay him? Where did you put him? Where did you bury him? And they say, come and see. And it's reminded that Jesus will do the journey of grief with us. Can you imagine how long and painful that journey was from there to the graveyard? And then the text says, and Jesus wept. Not only will he share in our anger, he weeps with us in Jesus. We have a God that shares in our anger and who weeps with us. Jamie says, but tell him about Jesus. You see, when he gets to the tomb, he cries out, Lazarus, come out. And the text says, and the dead man walks out. And it's a reminder that Jesus has the ultimate authority to change the storyline. Come on. To take, to take death and transform it from a permanent reality into a temporary experience. And so when he dies on Calvary's cross, come on now, uh, we get a hint and a hope. A reminder that says... He's with us in our suffering. And through his death and a resurrection, we get a hope that says that he's at work even in the horrors of life, moving it towards a victorious season. Tell him about Jesus, that if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus as Jamie did, death will not have the last word. Evil will not have the last word. Your own sin and brokenness will not have the last word. Jesus, the triumphant one who's working to make all things new, will have the last word. And you can look forward to a grand reunion as Pam and Tim are looking forward to that moment.
and they will see their baby girl again. That's what it looks like to get to a place of what we call acceptance with hope. Amen.